Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We're back in the book of Job. We are going to be looking at chapters 16 through 18 today. Um, It's a classic study of, you know, there's so many different things to to talk about this study, this book of Job. Um, Where my heart is landing on right now is it's um, speaking to me that, you know, just or the way I see it is, you know, how how does man feel about his relationship to God. What is that all about? Is it based on your circumstances and you feel good? Is it based on how your day's going? Is it based on how you feel about yourself? You know, we mentioned this before in other studies that, you know, McGee teaches that faith is not a feeling. It, it is, it's a relationship, you know, and our faith is not, um, uh, a religion, our, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and faith is not a feeling. So, you know, Job's um, friends come, and basically they're, they started with the premise to cheer him up, but it turns into this argument, you know, and all three friends say something, and Job replies to all three friends, now all three friends are laying back in, it's going back and forth. And um, it's kind of a case study in relationship to one another, a case study in relationship to God. It's a case study on how you forgive one another or how you judge or you're not supposed to judge one another. And it's kind of a case study on how you live out your faith. I was thinking about this this morning that, you know, too often times I think we make the mistake of viewing our Christian faith as how we are viewed through the eyes of others. You know, you go to church maybe, you dress nicely, and the people who aren't going to church, they're not dressing nicely. They are, um, you know, they're out jogging or, you know, they're going to go play sports or they're going to go to a, a baseball game or whatever. And you think to yourself, wow, I'm setting myself differently. I'm dressing nicely, acting nicely. And you think, well, maybe, you know, that makes me a little better than them, maybe in God's eyes. Or maybe I'm a little bit better in in my own eyes. 
or, you know, you're doing something that's considered nice or considered thoughtful. And you can say, well, you know, I'm being more thoughtful than this other person who's obviously self-centered and stuff. And maybe I'm a nicer person and maybe I'm pleasing God. I'm trying to honor God and stuff. Is that really our relationship to God as we view ourselves through the eyes of others or through our own eyes? And this is how deep Job and his friends are getting into this conversation. This is how deeply real this book of Job is. It's very visceral. This is like based on a true story. (laughs) You know, it is how all these people are trying to handle Job's illness, Job's calamity, how these people are trying to help him, you know, be comforted, how these people are viewing their own selves as trying to help Job, and they're they're trying to bring wisdom, they're trying to bring a message of repentance, and Job doesn't want anything of it, because he says, look, I've got, I've done nothing wrong, and then they're, they're saying, well, you can't judge, you're not God, you know, I mean, a lot of these things make sense, a lot of these things are sort of correct by human platitudes. I mean, we could make a Bible study on every one of these friends, what they have to say to Job, and they're technically correct to some extent. But it's an interesting, interesting window into what this looks like without love without compassion, without mercy. Because all of us deserve to be judged harshly and negatively and completely and truthfully. We all are guilty and we all should be condemned and not a one of us is above it. And so, in that regard, it shows man's folly to try to justify himself or judge one another at all. And in one real sense, it shows the hopelessness of man's position before God. Job is completely hopeless. And it doesn't matter. He's tried everything, even the best person like Job, the most successful person, the best person, the purest person, the person everybody's talking about in heaven, even that person is helpless and hopeless before God. It just shows you. None of us. And it just shows you all of us deserve to be thinking like this in some respect. Job is crying out for hope. That's all he, he has no hope. But his whole argument, his whole premise for his lament is based on the fact that he needs hope so badly. He wants hope, but he doesn't have it. He feels hopeless. And because there's no hope, he's ready to die. And this is basically the best guy example that we've got that is hopeless before God. And this shows us like the, 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 
it's like one of the greatest examples of human suffering that we have. And it's compounded by the lack of compassion and mercy and love by his own friends. And Job is crying out for hope, but he's crying out also for an arbiter. He wants somebody to plead his case before God. There's this natural thing in him that wants to be judged fairly and rightly and purely. And I think man hates to be judged incorrectly. And that's what's happening to Job. He's being judged by friends, and nobody likes to be gossiped about or having people say untruthful things about you, and that's Job. He wants an arbiter. He wants a just judge. He wants someone to speak to God on his behalf. This is the human spirit crying out for Christ in another regard. And that's what we have here. So let's jump in with this. My study Bible says that his friends in Job's eyes have failed him as comforters, even though that was their original purpose for coming to him. And God is the one who's brought all these things upon him. And that although others take this as a sign of the judge of the, his judgment, Job is trusting that God can testify on his behalf. And the friend's condemnation of Job leaves death as Job's only real hope. But to long for this death is to give up on any possibility of vindication. So that's why Job is trying to hold out that if he could just argue his case before God or somebody could, there might that's his only hope. Because nobody can survive God's judgment. And Job says, look how shriveled up I am. You know, I'm not some fat guy who's lazy. I'm, I am pretty much shriveled up. There's no life left in me. And he sort of gives imagery of warfare, like his defenses now have been breached. There's no dignity left in Job's life. He's in the shadow of death, which is kind of interesting that I believe it's the 23rd Psalm talks about, Lo, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Job says, I'm already in the shadow of death right now. Job's plea for an arbiter here is that he knows that God alone is the source of his suffering and he feels that God alone could be the source of his vindication. And he's warning his friends of the consequences of their actions to judge him because God is the only judge. So in the end, Job acknowledges that God is sovereign and just and knows the truth. And that's his still hope that he's going to be vindicated by God. So we've got Job the sufferer posturing himself for hope or either the hope he doesn't have or the hope he wish he had. But it's all about this hope. And then in 
as we get into chapter 18, Bildad is just frustrated and wants Job to shut up and listen to him. So we've got, you know, Job pouring out his heart. The friends are pouring out their hearts. Nobody's connecting because the missing part of all this is God's presence and mercy. Without God's presence and mercy, even today, this would be the status of all our relationships. Judging one another. So let's jump in and hit some of these high points. Chapter 16, then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? In other words, you guys are just full of hot air. Or what provokes you that you answer? Why are you? What makes you answer me this way? I could also speak as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. You know, I could strengthen you with my mouth. You know. Talk is cheap. I could do the same thing to you if you were in my place that you're doing to me right now. Verse 8, And he shriveled me up, which is a witness against me, and my leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He's gnashed his feet at me, his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. Job's saying, this is my condition. Verse 11, God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. Look at verse 13. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare. Well, there you go for all the nephrologists out there. Job's talking about his kidneys. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. It's sort of a, a, a sort of a an acknowledgement to the spiritual battlefield going on. He, he he sort of references this to like a battle. I've sewn sackcloth upon my uh, upon my skin. I've I've laid my strength in the dust. My face is red with weeping and my own eyelids. And on my eyelids is deep darkness. And as my study Bible says, literally that translates to shadow of death. Job's eyes are those of a dying man. And although there's no violence in my hands, and my prayer and my prayer is pure. He's saying, This is what I truly believe. I just need God to speak for me. My friends scorn me, and my eyes, my eye pours out tears to God. This is verse 20, 21, that he would argue the case of a man with God. Job wants an arbiter. Chapter 17, my spirit is broken. My days are extinct. extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Surely there are mockers about me and my I dwells on their provocation. Lay down a pledge for me with you. Who is there who will put up security for me? 
He's pleading for an arbiter. He's pleading for somebody who would put a deposit on him and speak for him. Isn't it so ironically interesting? Job is crying out for the Lord Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know what he's going to need. But God is like, I, I, I mean, I just think that God is sitting up there in heaven and he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to put on display the, the greatest example of human suffering from someone that I can, someone who is a just and righteous man. And I'm going to show even that man who has tremendous suffering, who is judged by others to be wicked. Every, I mean, he's got so many examples of every single kind of person that cannot succeed without Christ. And he's, it's almost like justifying why Christ needs to come to earth. Verse 4, since you've closed their hearts to understanding, therefore will you not let them triumph? He who informs against his friends to get a share of their property, the eyes of his children will, will fail. Is, it, <coughs> is this a proverb or a saying? But <coughs> people are just circling around to get any kind of a share of the estate or they're just kind of picking at somebody before they're actually dead. He's made me a byword of the people. I am one before whom men spit. I mean, he is suffering. He's demoted. Yet, verse 9, the righteous holds to his way, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. Verse 10, but you come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. He's saying, you know, you guys are supposed to be my friends. I don't get any wisdom from you. I'm a broken man. But you are not wise in my eyes. My days are past and my plans are broken off. This is verse 11. The desires of my heart, they make night into day the light. They say is near to the darkness. I will, if I hope for Sheol as my house, if I make my bed in darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father and to the worm, my mother or my sister, if I do all this, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? That's what Job's saying. If I let go of my only hope that I'm going to be vindicated, even though you guys don't give me that credit, what's left? Job saying, this is why I'm arguing with you. It's not because I don't fear God. It's because if I let go of any hope, there's nothing left. So, it's not that I'm not repenting. It's I'm not letting go of my own hope. Okay, so you see how this is going back and forth. Chapter 18, Then Bildad answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? In other words, Job, will you ever shut up? Consider 
and then we will speak. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? That's where we're going to stop. Bildad's giving it right back. Bildad is just getting frustrated. He's not even trying to answer Job anymore about Job's persistent cry out for hope and an arbiter. Bildad's just getting frustrated. We can see the welling up of all these human emotions in what it takes to forgive one another and what it takes to be forgiven by one another and what it takes to to be right before the eyes of God. Can any of us be right before God? No. Do any of us have any hope before God? No. But with God's mercy and compassion and His gospel gift of the Lord Jesus Christ out of His love for us, there's our hope. There's our joy. There's our peace. There's our forgiveness. There's our compassion. There is our hope. There's our salvation. God's showing us life would be so hopeless and broken without Christ. We're going to stop here. We're going to turn the rest of the podcast over to our co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing your take on this study today. And as always, we take a break for uh, the weekend. Uh, and then Monday, we'll start back up as we continue our study through Job. And as always, uh, for me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your hearts centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield. We'll see you next time. And as always, our prayers go up for sweet Emma and sweet Jean. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Job chapter 16, beginning at verse 1 all the way through to Job chapter 17, verses 1 through to verse 16. So we're going to see Job here answer Eliphaz for the second time. So what we have here is like a debate. So we hear one side and then the other side, but this should not have been like so. So these men that's Job's friends, should have been comforters and not debaters. You know, they should have been comforters of Job, but they are debaters and they are attempting to beat Job down while he's down and to gain an intellectual victory when it wasn't necessary. So they're trying to gain an intellectual victory over Job. So we see here Eliphaz just saying the same thing as he said the first time, nothing new. So his uh, Eliphaz, like we described him, he's a dreamer, he's a spiritualist, so he had a dream, he had a vision. So he has had a vision. And from the time he had the vision, he hasn't had anything else. So he's the one with the inside information that no one else has. Okay, so in this chapter, Job answers him like so. So verse 1 of chapter 16 reads... Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. So Job is saying to them, you haven't said anything new to me. 
and your miserable comforters, comforters. So Job has already heard it before. Whatever Eliphaz had to rebuttal and say, he's heard it before. All the things that Eliphaz has had to say again. In verse 3 goes on to read, Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? So in other words, Job is saying, I thought you would be ashamed to say, you know, to say what you're saying again. He's saying this to Eliphaz. And they are vain words, that is, empty words, which do not meet Job's needs. So today we have a lot of sermons that are just empty words. You know, they may be, um, you know, scriptural. But, you know, in the end, they're just, you know, empty words. Unless the Spirit of God is using them, then it will come, it will become of use. Even if those words are Bible-centered, the Spirit of God should use those words that are being, you know, preached on. Otherwise, they will not preach into the needs and, you know, particular needs of the congregants. So Eliphaz isn't even talking into the situation of Job at all. Verse 4 goes on to read, I also could speak as you do in your soul. Where is my soul's place? I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. So Job is saying he could have also given Eliphaz a little speech if the roles were reversed, if Job was in Eliphaz's position and Eliphaz was in Job's position. So Paul, in scripture, had said to believers, in order to counteract this type of thing that's happening here to Job. So Paul had said, brethren, if a Christian man can be overtaken in a fall, either the spiritual restores, um, either the spiritual restores such a one. So don't go and debate with him or preach to him. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That's come to him from below know in the spirit of meekness so the picture that we have of um foot washing in scripture is where our lord washed the feet of those of his own so he's doing this today the lord is washing our feet today when we actually go to him and confess our sins you know he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and um he chooses uh, to um, forgiveness. He, he um, as long as we, you know, confess our sins and go to him, and um, to chase us, to chase us, to chasten, to chasten us um, from all unrighteousness. So he still washes feet, and he has set us an example. So if we're gonna wash someone's feet you can't come from the top you're in a pious position like joe's friends did and look down at them and you know you point a finger you know you point your finger oh you do this you do that wrong and you know you start to actually um yeah you have to actually and you start to preach to them so one has to come up to them in a position of meekness in the place of a servant so job's friends didn't come that way and Job to Job, and they are preaching at Job. So if they had come in a position of meekness and, uh, you know, to make Job see, you know, um, that he needs to judge himself. And um, where is that? 
and you know it would have been a different case they would have made job seen what was actually wrong with him okay verse 5 goes on to read but i would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of your lips would relieve your grief so he said i could um i could do what you're doing but i would want to strengthen and comfort you so wash their feet if they did bring it up today if you approach a brethren a fellow brother going through a situation like that be there as a comforter wash their feet and don't go there from position up you know in judgment pointing at them verse 6 goes on to read though i speak my grief is not relieved and if i remain silent how am i eased so in other words they hadn't actually helped him at all that's what job is saying verse 7 goes on to read but now he has worn me out and you have made desolate all my company so in other words job is saying you have wasted my time you haven't helped me you haven't spoken into my situation Verse 8 goes on to read, you have shriveled me up and it is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face. So, you know, Job is saying again, you have made me old. You have made an old man out of me. You know, just sitting here, you've just like drained me, sucked me dry. Verse 9 goes on to read, he tears me in his wrath and hates me he gnashes at me with his teeth my adversary sharpens his gaze on me verse 10 they gape at me with their mouth they strike with reproachfulness on the cheek they gather together against me so these men are supposed to actually have been friends but they treat him like an enemy you know, they are scornful towards him. They point fingers at him. You know, they are accusing him. Verse 11 goes on to read, God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. So these men are the same as ungodly. Today, Christians can actually be meaner to one more than an unsaved person. And at times... You know, at times, actually. So Job has classified his friends as ungodly, and they think they're actually defending God when they're not. They, they think they feel they're speaking for God when they're not. And you actually have this today. You actually have Christians who are way meaner. You know, where they just, you know, just don't, they have their own little cliques, and they feel they're just better than everyone else. Hmm. Verse 12 goes on to read, I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. So he's saying, Job is saying, God has done this to him and he's permitted this to happen to Job. And God actually does this sometimes so that we actually look to him, we focus on him, to his own. So God cannot give you something more than you can handle. And God chastens his own because you're his child. Verse 13 goes on to read, he arches, his arches surround me, he pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gall on the ground. 
So it gall is bitter. And he's saying, oh, my bitterness is just poured out on him. Verse 14 goes on to read, he breaks me with wound upon wound. He runs at me like a warrior. So here he's saying, Job is saying that God, God's just been walking up and down upon him. Verse 15 goes on to read, I have sewn sackcloth over my skin and laid my head in the dust. Verse 16, my face is flushed with weeping and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. So Job was close to death and he wished for it and yet actually avoided it and yet stood right on the threshold of death during this time. So he's a very sick man. Verse 17 goes on to read, Although no violence is in my hands and my prayer is pure. There we have it. So the thing that's in the heart and life of Job is now actually beginning to come out. The thing that God wants him to see that actually needed to be dealt with. So Job, Job's friends have not been leading him to a place where he would actually judge himself. They ministered to a spirit of self-vindication in Job. So they put him on the defense and the minute he defended himself, he had to put God at a disadvantage. So one can't defend themselves and at the same time defend God. It's just not possible. So Job justified himself instead of justifying God. Justifying why God was doing all these things because their friends led him to a spirit of um, vindication. So Job was supposed to justify God and judge himself and they condemned Job instead of leading him to condemn himself. So once one starts to defend themselves, one starts to get in the position that John actually, John actually says, if we say that we are without sin, we make God a liar. We put God in a place of blame. We judge God. And this is what Job is doing here. He is putting God at a plain place of blame. He's judging himself. He's saying, he's, sorry, he's, he's justifying himself. He's saying God's wrong in doing what he is doing to Job. Verse 18 goes on to read, O earth, do not cover my blood and let me cry. Have no resting place. So his Job here, he's say, he says, if the blood of Abel cried out to God, then his blood should cry out to God and God won't cover it up. So God sees the blood of Christ, especially when we reject him because Christ died for us, uh, you know, to erase our sins. He took the place of death. He became sin for you and me. Verse 19 goes on to read, Surely even now my witness is in heaven and my evidence is on high. So in all the teachings of the Bible, it actually gives that God keeps a record of us. So everything we have ever said and done is actually recorded. If you're a child of God, thank goodness, some things have been blotted away by the blood of uh, Christ. But everything is actually recorded. So no matter what, you know, nothing's hidden under the sun. God sees it all. Everything is recorded. Everything's said, done. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. Verse 20 goes on to read, My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. So this is the picture of Job. 
as he sets, sits up on the city dump with tears uh, streaming down his face and his friends are standing around and looking at him in scorn as if he is a hypocrite and a liar so they don't know him these friends of him and they don't know god neither do they know themselves let me just go back to what i was saying like god records everything looks like you know he you know he he says something very interesting all the time like you know what is a hidden secret here on earth is an open scandal in heaven god sees it all yes so verse 21 goes on to read oh that one night that one oh that one might plead for a man with god and a man pleads for his neighbor so if you if you're a child of god you have an intercessor an advocate who represents us before god so there is one mediator between god and man and that's the lord jesus christ are you a child of god do you have an advocate you know we have somebody to plead our to plead our case for him all we have to do is come to the knowledge and understanding and accept the lord jesus christ as our lord and personal savior he will advocate for us he is our mediator all right i'll read the last verse and it reads for when a few years are finished i shall go the way to no return so job actually believed he was gonna die okay so now we get to chapter 17 and chapter 17 verse 1 reads my spirit is broken my days are ex extinguished the grave is ready for me so um job he had one foot in the grave and the other in the dump and he was saying he was ready to depart from that life he was a sick man verse 2 goes on to read are no are not mockers with me and does not my eye dwell on their provocation so job is saying he's there ready to actually die and they were they're mocking him and standing around so the friends who were supposed to actually comfort him are now standing around debating with him and condemning him so they are times for harsh words and one can be tough it can be a tough christian hard-boiled christian but this in this case job needed comforters so god actually will be harsh on job but he will comfort him and help him and restore him so god is a god of judgment but he's also a God of mercy and grace. Verse 3 goes on to read, Now put down a pledge for me, for yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? So in other words, he's just saying, you know, shake hands with me. You know, don't just come here and condemn me. Verse 4 goes on to read, For you have hidden their hearts from understanding, therefore you will not exalt them. Verse 5, He who speaks flattery to his friends even the eyes of his children will fail so here job is saying he doesn't want to be flattered or butted up he had been in he had actually been in other days flattered and all and he goes on like this um on this vein um all the way up to chapter 13 verse 13 sorry which reads if i wait for the grave as my house if I make my bed in the darkness. So, you know, Job felt that the dump um, heap outside the city was his deathbed. He actually never expected to leave that place alive. So 
So verse 14 goes on to read, If I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, you are my mother and my sister. So in other words, he's saying these things, the worm were closer to him than those that brought him into the world because he was now ready to return back to the dust. And verse 15 goes on to read, Where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Verse 16, will they go down to the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? So he's actually speaking to the body of his that's actually tired and weary. So this is Job's response. You know, he didn't, he was responding to Eliphaz who didn't have anything new to add. And Job was actually speaking and saying, you have added, not added anything. You're my friends. You're supposed to actually comfort me. And that's what they were supposed to actually lead him. That's the direction they were supposed to take to comfort him and to speak to his spirit of not vindication, of realization that there was something wrong in his life that he needed to realize that. But they were not of no help at all to him okay so this is our teaching for today thank you all for listening and god bless you all and have a pleasant day bye bye